Good morning. It is good to see you here at this time of worship and glad that you are able to be with us. And if you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you here and hope that you'll be back on many, many future occasions. A um, couple of things to bring you up to date on. One is that uh, our Relay for Life group um, has available a form that will let you designate your bilo bonus card so that donations will, will go from your purchases um, over uh, to the Relay for Life. Uh, Harriet has some of these, and Ellen, do you have some also? So uh, if you would like to make that connection, you certainly could do so with this uh, information here. Right now, it, the surgery should be over, um, but Harriet Thompson fell on Friday night and has been hospitalized since here at uh, local hospital Greer, and she was to have hip surgery of some type this morning. I'm not sure how much they will do. She also broke her left arm, and her right arm was already in a sling. So we think of her with our prayers and thoughts at the, the, this moment. Um, Tina and Wade Kinnett have both been under the weather. Tina spent a few days at the hospital. She can tell you what throw rugs are for. They're to be thrown away because <clears throat> they will throw you off your feet if you're not careful. And that's what happened to her. But uh, cracked some ribs, but nothing too much beyond that, thank goodness. Um, we got a good, good hospital lab report back for our dentist friend, Neil Weiss, who seems like he's had nothing but bad news since his cancer was first discovered last summer, but this time got a good report. And we are grateful for that and for all the prayers for that family during these difficult days. Children are reminded of their uh, choir and uh, educational programs tonight at the church. Um, choir and mission kids. Preschoolers meet first with Miss Jessica in the choir room and may be picked up in the Family Life Center uh, with Katie at seven. Elementary school age children go first to the Family Life Center to meet with Katie and will be carried over here to um, the choir room where you can pick them up at 7 o'clock. Confirmation for youth will begin tonight at 5.30 as well. And then finally, everyone is reminded to plan to join our monthly Wednesday supper on March the 2nd, 5.30 to 7 in the social hall. It's always a good catered meal with throwaway plates, and so we have nothing to wash up afterwards. Good night out, good night of, of fellowship. Uh, reservations are not required, but you may RSVP if you'd like to online or through our church bulletin you'll see this morning. Cost is $7 for adults, $4 for kids 8 and under, with kids 3 and under eating free. There are activities for the children following the meal. Let us now begin our time together in worship.
God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Amen. Let's affirm our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Be seated, please.
This time we invite the children to come down our outer aisles up here to join uh, Marnie Dumas for a few moments of sharing. doing okay? I'm kind of stuck here. Hold on one sec. Okay. I <laughs> didn't want to jerk it out. Okay. Do you guys know what this is? What? A rock, right? Or the other, there's some other things that are called stones. Do you know? Okay. So this, um, we're going to pretend like this is really a rock, but we'll pretend like it's a stone this morning. And um, have you ever heard about a worry stone? What's called a worry stone? What do you, what do you think that is? What's a worry stone? I had never heard of it. <laughs> when I read this lesson, I was like, a worry stone? What's a worry stone? And what some people, this is a small rock, right, or a small stone. People will put it in their pocket, and they'll, when they get worried about something, they'll rub on it, right? Why do you think they do that? Why do you think they rub on the stone? Yeah, it kind of helps them to relieve, to relieve some of that stress, maybe, right? Whatever they're worrying about, right? So, but it, it's kind of silly, though, to think that a stone or a rock could take your worries away, right? Kind of silly. But it does kind of distract us a little bit, but it is a little bit silly. So, what are some things that we worry about when we do worry? What does worry mean? What, do, what, what does it mean when you worry about something? What are you doing? You're thinking about it, right? You think maybe something bad, maybe something good, but you're just thinking about it a lot, right? You're thinking about it a lot. What are some things that we think about or worry about a lot? Or maybe your parents worry about. Maybe I shouldn't ask that question. <laughs> <Worry. laughs> maybe you don't want to air your dirty line. No. Um, what, what, what are some things that you might worry about? Yeah, taking your money, right? Yeah, you might think about that taking your toys, right? You worry about those things. Maybe you worry about a test that's coming up, right? Or something that you, that, that you know is going to be hard to do, you know? Okay. All right. Good. Those are some, some things that we worry about. And some things that um, moms and dads and grandma and grandpas sometimes worry about is, 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 is money. Maybe not taking it, but making sure that we have enough to have clothes and food and that type of thing. Well, Jesus talked to a large group one day, and this is coming from Matthew um, chapter 6, verse 25. He was talking to them on a hillside, and he began to teach them about worrying and about not worrying, okay? So he said, don't worry about whether you have enough food or drink or even enough clothes to wear. He said there are more important things in life than food and clothes. You think that? Yeah, you think there's more important things than food and clothes? Yeah, sometimes at about 12 o'clock I might not think there's anything better than some food, but definitely there are more important things. And then he went on to teach them a lesson. He said, look at the birds in the air. He said, they don't worry about where their next meal is coming from. They don't store up grain in their barns, and yet the Heavenly Father takes care of them. Surely you are worth more to him than a bird. You think you're worth more to him than a bird? 
What do you think? I think you are. Yeah, I definitely think you are. And why worry about your clothing, he said. He said, look at the lilies of the field. Now, this is not a lily, okay? This is a hydrangea, but it's close enough. He said, look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, and yet Solomon in all his glory wasn't dressed as beautifully as they are. Do you think flowers are really pretty? Yeah, they're dressed beautifully, right? But they don't worry about how, how they get there, right? He just They know that God's going to take care of them. He said, now, now here's the thing. He, he told us not to worry about the clothing and the food, but can we just sit here and just expect it to come and fall in our laps? What do we have to do? We have to buy it, right? And how do we get the money to buy it? We have to work, right? We have to work and get money to buy the clothes. And how, you know, the birds don't worry about the food, but how do they get their food? How do they bring their food to their babies, right? They go, they fly away and come and bring it back, right? They have to go and get it, just like we have to go out and work and get clothes and food and that kind of thing. And sometimes God even provides the clothes for maybe a friend or that toy that you wanted you might trade with your friend. Sometimes he provides it that way too. So we all, he always provides for us. So we need to have faith that he provides it for us, but we have to do our part as well. Sound good? Okay, can you guys pray with me? Lord God, we thank you so much that you provide our every need. Help us not to worry, but to have faith that you will do it for us. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson is Isaiah 49, verses 8 through 16a. This is what the Lord says, In the time of my favor I will answer you. In the day of salvation I will, keep, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat, nor or the sun beat upon them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads, and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. Shout for joy, O heavens, rejoice, O earth, burst into song, O mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on the afflicted ones. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast 
and have no compassion on the child she has born, though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is from Psalm 62 on page 787. I invite you to turn to that page and stand as you're able as we share God's word responsively. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. <clears throat> On God rest my deliverance and my honor, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. <clears throat> Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, power belongs to God. Our epistle lesson is 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 5. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, your word continues to challenge us where we live. Now you're telling us not to worry. Lord, lots of us, if we had worry stones, would have blisters on all of our fingers because we worry about so much. It just is natural for us to look down the road rather than live one day at a time. We ask your help sincerely that we might turn away from our anxieties and worries and find more faith to live every day trusting in your fatherly goodness that as you have provided everything for the birds and the flowers and the other animals, you have also provided for us, your children. You challenge us with this, and we believe, help our unbelief. Help us, Lord, to be those who involve ourselves in the work of your kingdom first and foremost to go about our community and about our world seeing what we can do in the name of your kingdom to advance your kingdom or to show love to one of your children help us to be concerned about finding ways to do that instead of worrying too much about things that don't matter. We do remember, Lord, that there are those in this community who don't know where they're going to find shelter for the night or food for the day and finding clothing to wear is a real problem. We pray that you would keep these before us always and that we would work together with other Christians and other members of our community to see to it that your children are cared for and those who can't care for themselves have their needs met until they are able to care for themselves. We're thankful for opportunities to do this. 
And Lord, at a time when people in the world seem to be inhaling deep from the fresh air of democracy and freedom, we pray for our brothers and sisters all around this world, people who, like us, came from that original human pair that you created and are therefore our brothers and sisters. We pray that their dreams of freedom might indeed be met. And we also pray that around the world the good news of your love for all of your people, all of your children, might also spread. For these things we pray in Jesus' name as he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
seated, please. Some folks have had a busy morning, including our acolytes and families, uh, and Jessica Krim especially. Um, we had uh, the children's choirs sing for us at the um, nine o'clock service this time. They'll be in here in future occasions as well. But 30-something little people up there singing and ringing handbells. Uh, it was certainly a wonderful sight to see and to hear. I got a we've got some characters in that children's department coming up. I got so tick tickled that one little boy this morning who, whose father, he must have slick shoes on because his father pushed him all the way up there. And he had one of the bells, so he had to be up there. But uh, we do appreciate all that Katie and Jessica together are doing with our children. Um, you've got bright days ahead as a church because you've got uh, good staff like we, we've got here working with our children and youth. And so we thank Jessica and hope she gets a nap later today before tonight when the children return about 5.30. Um, the gospel lesson for today is Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 through 34. I'm going to read today from the message translation just because it's a familiar passage. You've heard it a lot of times. You might hear something new just hearing from a little different perspective. Jesus is speaking and he says, You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes on your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your life than food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God. And you count far more to him than birds. Has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror ever gotten taller? by so much as an inch. All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop. But have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women of the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. 
Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come, come up when the time comes. Here ends the lesson. Someone recently gave me a cartoon showing a man holding a sign begging for food. The man's sign says, desperate, will serve on church's nominating committee for food. <clears throat> Those of you that have had the pleasure of working on the nominating committee understand how desperate that man must be. At this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has already challenged his listeners with some startling new commandments as to how they should live their lives. They should turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, give generously, love their enemies, avoid anger and lust, make peace with your brothers and sisters before coming to worship, and praying in secret while getting right to the point in your prayers. To this lofty and somewhat impractical list, Jesus now adds words of instruction regarding our pursuit of money and our propensity to worry. Now, if you thought that worry was a modern phenomenon, in some ways you're right, it has plagued humans ever since modern humans were created, however many thousands of years ago that was. Jesus' contemporaries were really no different from us today. They too worried about their children about their jobs, about their government, and about their old age. Who would have thought old age would come as quick as it does? But I can tell you about that sometime. I probably worry more than all of you all put together, not so much about my own personal problems, but I end up worrying about lots of people around us. You see, I'm greeted nearly every day by some folks who are worried very much about where their next meal will come from and where they will spend the night. I'm so thankful to be able to tell them about the Daily Bread Ministries and how Merle State helped to, find, to, to start that wonderful ministry. Nobody in Greer has to be hungry anymore. But there are other people that I talk with who've had their electricity and water turned off. Some are being evicted. Some have been out of work for months. There are so many of these folks right now that they have overwhelmed the resources of Greer Relief and the churches. Sometimes I feel absolutely hopeless for them. I don't see any way out for them. Somehow I think they would look at me crazy, or as if I was crazy, if I looked at them and quoted the words of Jesus to them, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or what you'll wear. And some of you might tell me that I was not being helpful to you either if I quoted the words of Jesus to you sometimes. There are several overriding factors in this passage that helped me understand what Jesus is trying to tell us about worry. He seems to be telling us that, first of all, we worry about the wrong things. 
Life has got to be about more than just food and fashion. Life needs to be about love, family, children, friends, gaining knowledge, growing spiritually, art, music, literature, happiness. We spend so many of our energies on lesser goals, temporal, physical things instead of eternal, spiritual things. And worry does not really help us to live. In fact, worry robs us of life. It robs us of sleep. It puts ulcers in our stomach. And it's like spinning your wheels on ice. It just doesn't get us anywhere. Secondly, for the Christian, our life's focus doesn't need to be on food, clothing, shelter, and money, but rather focused on God's kingdom. Seek first God's kingdom, Jesus said, and then he promised that if we would honestly do that, other things in life that we usually worry about will have a way of falling into place. Each day we can either spin our wheels worrying about something or else we can decide to go out and find something to do in God's kingdom and do it. Seeking God's kingdom can be one of the most therapeutic things we ever do when we're prone to worry. <clears throat> you know, one of the things I do when I become depressed, anxious, or lonely, I get in my car and I go visit somebody who's depressed, lonely, or anxious. And by visiting them, I find my own needs met. Someone in our church recently told me about going to a fabric store and seeing a bunch of ladies, crafters, in there buying bulk, just huge amounts of, of um, cloth to be turned into quilts and craft. Our church member said to them, you sure are buying lots of cloth. Yes, replied one of the quilters. We find it's a lot cheaper than going to counseling. There's a lot of wisdom there. We can get busy and take care of lots of our worries. Worry does very little to help solve life's problems. Seeking God's kingdom can often push worry right outside the door. So, first we worry about things that are not very important, things that are not really defining issues of life. Secondly, we forget to spend our energies on God's kingdom, and that's where we often will find our needs met. But thirdly, Jesus tells us that some of the times we worry because we've chosen the wrong God. We have chosen a God that is a source of our anxiety, and he was talking about money being our God. It's interesting that he uses that term for money and accuses us of worshiping money instead of God. But you know, it is, it's true, isn't it? When you depend on something, when you trust in something, when you put it first instead of God, when you let something tell you what's important in life, aren't you worshiping that thing? And often we worship money. And as we do, we find it to be a God that lets us down. And so we're prone to worry. Money is power. Money defines what is success in our world and in the eyes of our peers. 
monks, priests, and nuns might find poverty to be sources of pride and a measure of their success. But for the rest of us, money and possessions are ways we measure ourselves against our neighbors to see what we're worth and to see if we're successful. My father inherited some acreage from my grandfather. He sold it not long after he inherited it so that he could send his two children to college. He also gave up a house that he was buying in order to move across town in with my grandmother, his mother-in-law, so that he could help take care of her in her old age. He worked hard to support his family. He went to church each and every week with us and taught Sunday school. But he used to feel real bad at the end of his life about the fact that he didn't own any property now or any house. And when he died, my father was so poor we didn't even have to go through probate court because he had nothing to probate. But I tell you what I told my father near the end of his life. By every mark that, that I judge a life, he was a success. Because anybody who does right by his family who sells all he has to educate his children, who sacrifices a house so that his mother-in-law can be cared for in her latter years, that person's got to be a success in the eyes of God. He worshiped the right God. So very often we serve money, letting it define success, letting it define our ethics and our values, and we believe it when it tells us that it'll make us happy. But if you keep up with the news from Hollywood, you will see that there are a lot of very rich, unhappy people out there who are finding it hard to stay out of jail or rehab. I hear some of their stories and I think that they would be better off if they failed in life because they would have been happier if they'd been poor. One of the problems with our love for money is that it's impossible to do what God wants us to do if we are focused on getting money. Following the dictates of money will inevitably lead us into conflict with the will of God. Let me give you an example. We Americans really believe in our God-given inalienable human rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we want the whole world to experience that kind of freedom we want our democracy to spread all around the globe to all the countries, and, and right now it seems to be spreading like wildfire all over the Middle East. $3.19 a gallon I paid for gas yesterday. Their freedom is driving up our expenses. Wait a minute, God. Maybe we don't want our brothers and sisters to achieve freedom if it's going to drive up our gas prices. It's hard to serve God and money. And God often tells me to do something very special with my money, and that is to give it away. And I have great difficulty doing that sometimes. I grieve every time Washington, Lincoln, Hamilton, and Jackson move out, out of my back pocket into stores of the community. And from time to time, faithfulness to God and sound financial management principles will get into conflict in our churches and in our lives. Money is the leading cause of divorce in America. 
And most of the time when church people disagree with each other, it's over money. Sometimes God calls us to take a strong stand on something in the community or at least to raise an issue of concern in the community. And sometimes when we do that, a rich, generous member of the church gets mad and moves his or her membership to another church. And this causes great consternation in the church. Sometimes that preacher is shown the door when that happens. It's hard to serve both God and money. Sometimes you can't serve God and money without watering down the laws of God. Our southern economy was so tied to the institution of slavery in 1861 that people thought that it was worth fighting for and dying for. And my ancestors lost their share of sons in the Confederate Army. There were Methodist preachers and bishops in those days who owned slaves, believe it or not. It was money that blinded our ancestors to this injustice. How we need to make sure we put money in its place. It isn't worth the worry. It won't make us happy. And it blinds us to God's truth. Not only that, worrying about money can so cloud our minds that we can't even think of good solutions to the problems that we face. And often solutions exist right under our noses. I find it fascinating to see what suggestion Jesus had for us to help us put our worries away and start finding answers. It reminds me of what I found out years ago when I was going through a tough time and I went to one of our Methodist counseling centers and the counselor there said, take a break at lunch and go out and run, walk in nature. And I thought, man, you went to school to learn how to tell me that? But that's what Jesus says. Get out in nature. Get out there and spend time with the birds and the flowers and draw some inspiration from them. See how they've learned to cooperate with God's creation in such a way that they don't worry. Wildflowers have adapted themselves to certain foil, uh, soils and they have found just what they are looking for. And as a result, they are clothed in beauty that even King Solomon can't compete with. Birds have found ways to live in the wild. Everything they need is out there. God provided for them, Jesus said implying that God has also provided for us. You know, someone has said that the early bird might get the worm, but it's the second mouse that gets the cheese. I'll let you contemplate the wisdom of that later on. But Jesus is suggesting that perhaps if we'll spend some time in God's creation, we'll be reminded that God's put everything there for us and that we'll find what we need out there. One author I read this week suggested that the reason that nursing homes have started keeping birds in them and allowing cats to live there is that patients find comfort from nature and quit worrying as they can look at the birds of the air. Even nature is having a healing effect on those people. Some of our worries are just problems waiting for solutions to be found. And those solutions may come if we'll just get out there and draw inspiration from God. 
Not everyone has been destroyed by the recent bad economy in recent years. Some people stopped worrying and discovered new paths for their lives, new careers, new goal mines. Sometimes what we think is a problem is nothing more than an opportunity. Some years ago, Penny and I met a lady in Texas who was our hostess at a meeting that I went to. She said that until a year or so ago, there was far too much month left at the end of her money. You know how that is. A counselor suggested to her that she start walking and running as a way of dealing with her anxiety. And she said one day on her walk, she noticed that there was lots of trash and aluminum cans along the way. So the next day she ran with a, with a trash bag with her and started picking up the trash. Then she discovered as she separated the trash that she had lots of aluminum cans and she could find other places to walk that had lots of aluminum cans. She'd been doing that for several years and had overcome her tight budget by recycling aluminum cans. She said that once she got out there and quieted her worries, she began to think of things she might do to supply her needs, and picking up cans was her answer. You can't faithfully serve both God and money. Life has got to be about more than eating and dressing. Seek first the kingdom of God, and God will faithfully supply your needs, Jesus said. And when you need inspiration, go out in nature to see how God has designed things to work. Consider how God takes care of the birds and the flowers and then find the courage to believe that God values you above those creatures and he has also made provisions for you. Amen. Amen.